If you're listening to this podcast, you've heard me and others share accounts of our experiences in Christian faith communities, the good and the bad. But what do you do when you would love to be able to speak openly about your own experience, but for one reason or another, you can't? That's exactly what I talk about on today's episode with my friends, Melissa Hogan and Lydia Craig. In 2019, Melissa, Lydia, and I found ourselves in experiences that overlapped and had huge consequences for our individual families. But even though we were friends, we weren't able to talk openly with each other or to others for quite some time. So what do you do when you want to share your story, but you can't? Keep listening, and we'll talk about just that. I'm Amy Fritz, and you're listening to the Untangled Faith Podcast, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all that is not good or true, this is the place for you. The beginning of a new year often gives us a chance to take personal inventory. I did that last year and decided I needed to find a counselor. It's been one of the best decisions I have ever made. If you've been considering it for yourself, Faithful Counseling makes it so easy to get started. You can start the process without even picking up the phone to talk to someone. The Untangled Faith Podcast is brought to you by my listeners who support me on Patreon. It is also brought to you by Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a Christian counseling service with more than 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 states with access by video or phone sessions or chat or text. They are therapists with expertise in trauma, depression, family conflicts, and more. You can ask for a new counselor at any time, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. Untangled Faith Podcast listeners get 10% off their first month from our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Go to faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Fill out a questionnaire and you'll be matched with a counselor. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. In 2019, after several years of friendship, facilitated by the fact that our husbands worked for the same organization, Melissa Hogan, Lydia Craig, and I found ourselves in a situation where we had some huge things happening in our individual lives, and we had equally huge roadblocks to talking about it with each other and with others. Lydia, Melissa, and I sat down and talked about this recently. Here's our conversation. I have Melissa Hogan here and Lydia Craig. Uh, We all have our Venn diagrams overlapping with Ramsey Solutions and had big, our lives changed dramatically due to some really negative things that happened with um, our connection to Ramsey Solutions. And initially, we could not speak about it. Go ahead, Melissa. You've got to back up to how we met, which okay. is if people don't know that I started a writing group and posted in Lampo Ladies, which is the Ramsey female Facebook group. I didn't know either of you. You both yeah. responded. We started this writing group back in 2016 before anything else. And even back then, there was this tension. Yeah of what we could and couldn't, or were willing to speak about. Cause we talked about writing, we talked about books and what we were reading and writing all those things. But every once in a while we would stray into, Hey, um, this feels off for me. Yeah. Or are you struggling with this issue? And we would dance around it because of the whole 
is this gossip? We were trying to reckon with our faith and with what, you know, I know, Amy, I remember you speaking up and, you know, things that we could see that weren't really consistent, weren't internally consistent, but weren't consistent with the faith that we believed in. And, and, and I felt I'd never wanted to put anybody else in danger by talking about something and, and, and putting them at risk for, there were some very, very strict rules about talking about the company. If you had a concern that wasn't like, if you didn't want to say something that was like, Hey, everything's fantastic. If you wanted to say something that was something you were questioning or didn't like, you did not talk about it with your friends at all. But what I think is really fascinating is that this timeline overlapped with the rise of Donald Trump. And we talked very openly, the three of us, about our like, what is happening in the world of politics and Christianity and that overlap and how that was impacting our relationships. And we talked very frankly about this. So the fact that we held back in one area was pretty interesting. Um, it's hard to, yeah. The narcissism, we talked about Donald Trump and the narcissism. And then I think that helped prime our knowledge and our relating to one another on that issue for everything else that would. If we would not have agreed politically, I don't think we could have ever talked about our work experience. Like we would have known it would not have been safe. Yeah, it was a way of testing the waters, even though I don't know that we were like overtly or consciously doing it, but mm-hmm. in some ways we're like, I know this person is safe in this way. I think we mostly didn't want to put anybody, put each other in a rough situation. I never felt like I couldn't talk. I always thought that was stupid, <laughs> and, but I could feel that other people felt that way, you know, and not just in our friend group and other friend groups in that company you know, we would have some friends say, okay, this is a safe place. What I'm going to say, you can't tell anyone, you know, like there's just this tension that you couldn't. So I didn't want to make anybody else uncomfortable, but I never personally felt like I shouldn't talk about what I want. I don't like being told that I can't talk about things. Like I just, to me, it was never gossip. I, I never understood that. Yeah. And I think I understood Lydia and Danny don't define this as gossip. And so I can talk to them about concerns. I wanted to protect Melissa. I didn't want to bring things to you, Melissa, because you are more front facing. Your ex-husband was like a face of the company. And I wouldn't want you to have to defend things. But the funny part was you all knew way more about what was happening at that company than I ever did. I mean, it's hilarious. I didn't really follow the stuff that was happening there. And my husband at the time really kept me insulated, Mm -hmm. um, created this very strong boundary between what I knew and didn't know and who I knew and didn't know there. So you act, you both actually knew more about the going everyday goings on about events that would happen about their philosophy way more than I ever did. Yeah. We'd be like, Hey, you know, we're getting our new insurance (laughs) and we have a list of where everybody is sitting at the Christmas party and you know, send it to Melissa. Yeah. So I guess there are two themes there of the like figuring out if we can talk to each other and what we could talk about. And then later that line of when we all individually at different times broke off our relationship, we broke up with Ramsey Solutions. 
Um, and it didn't happen all at the same time for all of us, but there was great overlap in all of our experiences. In fact, I was at Lydia's house when our canary in the coal mine started singing Nathan's boss resigned the day I was going over to Lydia's to watch her kids so she could go to a doctor appointment. And I, and both of us were like looking at her like, what does this mean? And I'm like, this is the end for us. And Lydia's like, what? <laughs> Do you remember that, Lydia? Yes. Yeah. I, that was definitely a point where we realized it was way more than just maybe a misunderstanding or like a personal problem. Like this was a company problem. Yeah. Yeah. In that situation, you know, I, I never wanted to tell anyone related to Ramsey what was happening. I mean, first of all, I was, I was conditioned not to tell anyone, not to tell anyone, uh, much less somebody at Ramsey. And when you, when you're in that environment where you're conditioned not to speak and not you know, I hardly ever, I mean, you you guys know, I mean, I never spoke about my marriage or things that were happening in my family, except for things with case. And, and so even that, that other friend, it was in desperation that I even told her because I was just falling apart. Yeah. And, you know, I had my, my therapist and, and I didn't know what was happening because it was so, you know, it's kind of mind blowing when you're being gaslit in those ways. And so I just felt like I had no choice, but to have somebody else and called her and, you know, regretted it in a lot of ways because, you know, you don't want to put somebody in that position. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that. What were some of the reasons why, uh, as the end was drawing near and even after our breakup with Ramsey that we didn't or couldn't speak, who wants to take this one first? I mean, I'll say for me, I mean, one, I was conditioned not to speak Two, God wasn't calling me to speak because, you know, when you look at all the reasons that people speak to another person or speak publicly, I was really in a lot of prayer about what to say and to whom or in what circumstances. And, you know, I was, um, you know, speaking with some of the women in my spiritual life and in my church that were, that I was talking with, but I, I wasn't wanting to bring anybody else in unless I had to. And I remember I had like a two line thing that I told both of you, and this was before I was under, and then I was under the gag order, but before I think I said to you that God was providing for you yeah, and that you were currently separated. Yeah, I was separated. God was providing for me. And I was, I, I think I was, you know, hopeful for repentance or something like that. But yeah, so, and then, you know, that led to not long after, you know, that canary in the coal mine, I was under a gag order and couldn't speak. So, yeah. So first of all, you felt like you shouldn't and then you couldn't. How about you, Lydia? Uh, yeah, I, I think our two main reasons were one, Melissa, she was under a gag order. I didn't want to jeopardize anything that was going on. And I didn't understand everything that was going on. You know, there's kids involved in a marriage and a job. So I just didn't want to jeopardize any of that. And then secondly, it was just our own personal trauma of how we left and how my husband was treated. And when you are, you know, spiritually and emotionally abused, like you leave so confused that you don't even know like what to tell people. You need a lot of time to 
you know, work it all out and understand what even happened to you before you feel confident enough to say what happened. Yeah. I think for us, I mean, we were really, I would say we were lucky. I was lucky that I was at a place where I could talk to Lydia, at least to be like, Hey, this is the end for us. It was, you know, like March that we started talking to each other. I think it was standing outside after the funeral for your aunt, Melissa, where we like, we debriefed with each other. Like, this is what's happening right now. Um, We like stood out in the parking lot for quite a while connecting, but there are a lot of people in situations like we had that while you are inside still, there's nobody, there's nobody in the only people who would get it would be inside and you can't talk to them. And so I wanted to follow the rules. I wanted to be, I don't want anybody to say we had done something wrong. And so that's one reason why I wasn't saying anything. And also like what Lydia said, our situation so overlapped with yours, Melissa, and we didn't want to share someone's story that wasn't ours to tell. And the ramifications were just so big. And the story is so long. Uh, to get someone to understand it. Anytime we'd like tell somebody the story, this is a three hour conversation. <laughs> right. It, I mean, it, you know, unless you're with no interruptions, it's easily a three hour conversation when someone's like, Hey, let's get together and talk about your story. I'd be like, when they're like, let's do it over coffee. I'm like, I think it's going <laughs> to take a little bit longer. You Dinner, know, it, dessert and breakfast the next morning. It is three. It's It's at least three hours just for our part. It's difficult to talk about something when you don't even really have a framework for what is happening or what has happened because you, you can't explain it. You know, something is bad. I mean, that was really like, this is bad. Mm -hmm. And and then, and then what is that? And and you also, you, when you're in that situation like that, whether it's a a church or, or a company or, or somewhere else, when people are acting in ways that are wholly inconsistent with who you had understood them to be or who they had presented themselves as that cognitive dissonance kicks in and you're like, this doesn't make sense. And, And you, you are to yourself, is this, is this real? Do they know? Do they not know? Do they not understand? And so you cut, there's this time where you've got to figure out even how to have language. You have to learn and process and hopefully go to therapy and have language around what has happened to you. And, and also I feel like there's a, there's a patience. I feel like that in in my case, God was prompting to allow time to pass where you could see, do people actually know what they're doing? Do Mm -hmm. they actually know the truth? Are they doing this intentionally? Might they realize something different, might they repent? And it's, you know, this is what I watched God do over the course of like 2018 to 19 was like something would come out. There would be a, you know, a a call to, to the truth uh, by me or the situation. And instead that person, whether it was my then husband or Ramsey solution, they would double down on the deception and the bullying and the obfuscation. And you're like, wait a second. And then God would reveal something else. And there would be a, you know, a prompting to the truth. And then they would double down again. So I feel like you almost need 
a few patterns of that before you recognize it as a pattern and go, oh, wait, they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. I think another thing is we knew, I think maybe Lydia and I knew more than you, Lydia, you can tell me if you resonate with this, was how people view those that speak negatively about the company. We just knew like if what after leaving that just telling people wasn't going to be easily received uh, because partly we already knew what it would cost people to believe it. We knew we didn't have, if people were going to ask for proof, it was really going to be hard to show them like the tangible proof that we didn't really have to offer them only like our, our lived experiences <laughs> of seeing things personally that you don't always, we didn't walk around with a video camera. And there were a lot of different threads. So I think part of being quiet was like this hope that people would be like, oh, the Fritzes are good people and they're gone. We're going to go ask them why they're, why they've left. Surely some, surely us just leaving will speak loudly Mm -hmm. and someone will care. What are you, how does that land with you, Lydia? Yeah. I mean, we witnessed Twittergate. So that was the first class to leave. And we knew how people were talked about and treated. And I knew people who would try to communicate to me why they left. And it was like in code and it was confusing. And it was like, I don't want to do that. Like we were the new class, right? The new exits. And and I knew it was going to be complicated. And these people leave their homes. They move across country for these jobs. There's a lot at stake. And you don't want to jeopardize anyone's job. And it's also a Christian company where the default is to believe in the goodness, right? right? Yeah, that they're trying to do the right thing, that this is just a miscommunication or, you know, it's just one bad apple. And and it's hard to explain to people who don't necessarily understand or believe in systemic issues that, you know, this is a bigger problem. It's really hard to explain that. You just end up sounding crazy. Yeah. And you touch on a, a important point too. I mean, there are legitimate concerns about finances and about, you know, livelihood and children and, and income. And, you know, you have to weigh, even when you're ready to speak out, you know, weighing that against, um, you know, the necessity for the truth in a given circumstance. I mean, you know, some people could say, oh, well, that was really dumb for me to go to Ramsey Solutions and say, you need to realize what's happened here. You know, barring the fact that I was expecting it to go public and, and, you know, it was actually out of respect for them. But some people would say, well, you're risking everything. But the reality was, I was very confident that God was going to care for us. You know, we go to every verse about the, the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. I was confident that in telling the truth um, in, in a way that tried to care for people and and respect people needing and deserving to know the truth, that God would care for us. Now, it doesn't mean if somebody doesn't say something that they're not trusting the Lord. But I think, you know, depending on the circumstances, you're weighing these very real financial concerns versus what God is prompting to you, you to do. And that might be different in different circumstances. But for me, you know, there were you know, that was an instance where I, I felt very much the prompting to to speak this and tell the truth. 
but that I wasn't necessarily prompted to go tell the world at that time or tell other people that didn't, that God hadn't necessarily prompted me to tell. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Cause I think we all know people that know the truth and have decided to be more publicly silent. I mean, they may have conversations privately with people, but they have decided that their role or how they, how they process this is different. So what are reasons why that we have seen? And I know you've touched on that a little bit, Melissa, but we all have friends that have made different decisions and we respect greatly their position of why they're like, yeah, I know it's a dumpster fire. I can't have my name attached really vocally in this, in one way or another. Yeah. I mean, I feel, I mean, God leads each of us differently and I have no, no ill will towards people that aren't speaking up about their own experience or aren't speaking up in somehow support that they believe that I've told the truth or people that, that stay people that stay there and are like, yeah, I know this is, I'm, I'm bringing a paycheck home for my kids and I don't subscribe to any of this stuff. I mean, I, I'm not here to, you know, God will call each of us in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I don't, I understand that everybody has a different personality and not everybody wants to be, you know, out there in the public and everybody has a different story. Some stories are more personal and they wouldn't want to share those details. And some people are still trying to maintain friendships within the company. And I can tell you, as soon as you speak up, those are gone. (laughs) Uh, it's just too awkward. So there's just a lot of things that you have to juggle and decide like, you know, is it, is it worth it? Is it going to make a difference? What am I going to lose? There's like, you always lose something mm-hmm. when you speak up. Yeah. And what role do you feel like is, is the role that is the comfortable one that, you know, you kind of see the trajectory of your life and the gifts that you've been given. And some of us, that role is just paying attention and documenting things because it's going to come in handy at some point. Some people are going to be in a position where they are going to be able to influence people on the inside more. And so maintaining those relationships and leaving a really hospitable open door makes a huge difference. And and then there are certain people that, yeah, like you said, if they're if, if what happened to you is really personal and sometimes with, with abusive environments can involve in really personal, embarrassing things that you just don't want to have out there. Cause you feel shame about the situation. Maybe you need like therapy for a while before you go there because y- your well being is, is, is equally important to <laughs> whistleblowing. And also just like work stability. A lot of people leave without a job. Like you don't want to immediately be a whistleblower and seem like you're a disgruntled employee. Like you want to have some sort of security in your next place of employment before yeah. any of that can happen. Yeah. I mean, I guess the biggest reason people aren't speaking is an NDA. And there are lots of reasons why people might sign one too, even if they were like totally against one. And a good reason is to provide for your family. You know, we recognize that the experience that each of us have been through and in our families has been traumatic in a lot of different ways. And speaking out carries its own trauma. Yeah. Like even if you've processed and you've, um, you know, have a framework for what happened to you, um, 
you know, there's a risk. I mean, the likelihood is that once you speak out, there's a risk you won't be believed by anyone or by the people you want to be believed by people who were your friends, you know, people in the positions that you're generally whistleblowing about, whether it's abusive people or, you know, wolves, and they're generally very charismatic and they're well-connected and almost assuredly, if they have any idea that you are going to counter their deceptive narrative, they have engaged in a smear campaign ahead of time. I know that happened to me. I mean, I've, it's obviously very documented in the emails that, that Ramsey has put out that there was a whole, you know, picture drawn of me that was, you know, very negative and it had been going on for some time. So, you know, you, you risk people not believing you, you risk people impugning your motives, saying you're, you're lying or, you know, in my circumstance, you know, people said, oh, I was trying to get him fired. I was angry and jealous and, you know, all these different things versus what I've seen consistently from whistleblowers. And, and what I know is true about me acting in ways that your goal is to protect people, whether it's protect your children, protect, you know, other people in your family, stand up for yourself. Your goal is to warn other people. So this doesn't happen to them, but even independent of that, you have a right to tell your own story and tell what happened to you. It's not, um, defamation to speak the truth. Yeah. And we all have a right to do that. Yeah, I think we ended up being like being boxed in gave us an opportunity to be creative and what we could do and how we could speak. And while like Melissa, it was very wrong for you to have the legal system used against you to legally be unable to speak. Once we're in that position and none of us want to jeopardize your gag order either. And even the way we talk to each other had to be really careful so that you did not violate your gag order. You had to be like, is this about, is this in prepare, helping me prepare for my case, which I can talk about my case or not. In, in that case, I can't, you can't speak specifically on things. And we had to talk in different ways. So I guess generally about, yeah. So like how, um, how did we handle, what, what did we do in the absence of being able to like, just shout it from the rooftops what did we do instead? And we all had different things that we sort of did as we kind of wanted it all out there. Like we were like, why doesn't everybody, like if everyone just knew this, it would change everything. Instead, we, I, mean, I know one thing I did, I made a list of all the people that I wish knew the truth and that I wanted rescued my rescue list. I walked around and prayed for that list and I read a lot. <laughs> I read a lot of things to make sense. Yeah, we read a lot. We listened to a lot of podcasts. I posted a lot of quotes on Facebook <laughs> without <laughs> specifically naming the company. Anything that, you know, people could read between the lines and maybe get an idea of what what was happening and and maybe have some insight for themselves. But yeah, it was just a lot of reading and listening and figuring it out. Yeah. I created a whole file on my phone called untweetables where I would type the tweet out and then I would copy and paste it into the untweetables file because, you know, sometimes just saying the thing or, you know, how they say, write the letter and don't send it, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, 
I, I joke that the untweetables file is a book draft. Um, and it very well may be at one yeah. point, but uh, you know, you just want to say those things. I think, you know, we talked about, you know, what systemic narcissism looks like and abuse and emotional manipulation and talked about hypotheticals. You know, lawyers are really good about hypotheticals. Hypothetically, if a person were in this circumstance, yeah, here's mm-hmm. what they might do. And, um, but you know, and then, you know, getting you guys to help me, it's crazy how God creates these circumstances where you go, Oh, I have no other option or no good option other than to do this. And in my divorce, it was requested my entire social media files and (laughs) messages and posts for years. Yeah. Problem was, is I have been running a nonprofit it with that involved people's healthcare. And so there was tons of private health information in there that needed to be redacted by hand. And my gag order allowed people to help with my case. And so how many pages would you say? There was probably 20. I can 000. still smell in my dreams, Sharpie. Uh, we have Sharpie <laughs> uh, marks on our kitchen table, which brings me joy now. I, how many reams of paper did you print out? Like we just kept picking up more stacks. Was, of- I mean, you know, cause in theory, electronic discovery says, oh, you should, you know, do it electronically, but I could not give, you know, just hundreds of people's private health information, you know, out there in that way. So what there were stacks, the stacks were this high and there were probably what, 20 of them at least. There was a lot. Your kitchen was full of them. Oh, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we, um, marshaled our children to help. Yeah. She was redacting at age nine. (laughs) (laughs) One of her earliest memories will be redacting. That will be a good thing to unpack. I had nothing to hide, like to hide in that way. But, um, you know, it's like, what, what do you do? So I didn't want to say, oh, I want, um, a protective order or I want, you know, to deny this because I had nothing to hide other than other people's health information. Right. Yeah. And you wanted to show that, that you aren't trying to like hide behind something. I think it also helped, it, it helped us lean into our safe people with each other. We just processed a lot together. And then we started thinking, we helped fill in blanks for each other that we had not been able to fill in before. Um, Because we're all sort of on our little parallel lines. And every once in a while, they would move to intersect in different areas uh, at the company. But really, each business unit is its own experience and might as well be its own company. Uh, And I figured that out before Nathan left was that I could not say that because Nathan had a great boss and a great team that everyone did. That's for sure. He had the same boss for almost the entire time that he was there. That's not normal. Um, But that was in that they had a really special team, super, super solid, steady. They just did software development and not all those software development teams were like this, but theirs was, theirs was really good. But like to like, now we're comparing notes and Lydia's experience with Danny's work was not steady. Had a lot of movement. The first, here the first department 
was amazing. And then they shut it down. And then, yes, it was just downhill from there. Yeah. But yeah, that's another thing is it because each department is so different. It's hard to talk to people because you don't know what their experience has been. Yeah. So I think instead of this just came to me instead of like going and talking to new people, what we did is we went back, Mm -hmm. went back to people that had left that we had been afraid to ask the question to, or had left the little, uh, breadcrumbs that we hadn't really wanted to follow. And we're like, all right, I thought you were the bad guy. And now I realize I, I was, Mm -hmm. what did I miss? What tell me, you know, we had some of those three hour conversations with people. My favorite part was it's like a reunion outside of the company with all these people. And like, suddenly you all speak the same language and you experience really similar threads. So I know some of the things that happened in my marriage, you know, when it's happening to you and you're being told it's you and you're being gaslit in that way, you're like, well, is it, is it me? And you try to fix something and then it's still you and you try to fix something and you just, but same thing in the company, like until, you know, until I talked to other women and realized, oh, we have a very similar experience and this stuff all, you know, happens um, in the same ways for a lot of women, you know, until going to these other people going, oh, that sounds familiar. That here's how that played out in my situation. And so like the more people you talk to, the more you're like, oh, there's a pattern in this. There's a pattern how this plays out. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's how people are moved out when they don't want them there or, you know, shut down and you just start to see these patterns. And now, now it all makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you realize people that you were still in contact with had stories that they had never told you or that they didn't even realize. That's the other thing too, is like, but like speaking out it, it's like um, a magnet in some sense that people go, Oh, they they're like attracted and they sometimes don't even realize what has happened. And then you put it together and you're like, oh, so that's another good purpose for speaking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We also just gathered information and that was sort of fun. I mean, it felt like we can't really do anything right now, but we could document our experience. Detective Amy, the, the Amy got the moniker Detective Amy. But no, there was like a Nancy Drew in all of us, right? I think we said that we have. We all have different connections with people that have a little bit of like a Hardy Boys or Nancy Drew in them. And once they saw the truth, we're like, I can't really put my name out there, but I have some information and access to things that I have like kept note of throughout the years. And I don't know why I had them or why I was paying attention or why I hit record at this time. Um and and they trusted trusted us with some of that and we we just individually had conversations and made note of things and screenshotted things and books and there's just so many public things out there with a public company and public figures um i made a big spreadsheet at one point with with lydia of like a timeline of a bunch of things that had happened that included like video from the ramsey show that's part of that sense making you talk about. You have, to, I mean, I had to in in my marriage. I had to. I went back, tw- you know, twenty five years. I met my husband, you know, twenty five years ago, or more more than that now. And I had to do okay. Here's what I thought was happening, like all along this timeline of twenty five years. 
and then go plug back in. Actually, here are these significant events that were actually happening along that timeline. And then also with like Ramsey solution, that's part of that, you know, getting your brain wrapped around what, you know, has been happening and it helps, but it, it's, it's kind of crazy that you have to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was watching Enola Holmes too the other day and there was this line that is so similar to what I've said, you pull the thread. Your job is to pull the thread. And I think we pulled so many threads where we're like, I don't know, you know, specifically how this is significant or, you know, where this goes, but you start pulling that thread and it, it leads you somewhere most of the time. Here's a little note for the listener. At this point, Lydia holds up a little mini figurine of Thanos with a Christmas sweater on. This is what it's like to be in a high control group, right? It's Thanos in a Christmas sweater. You're like, oh, we're going to have fun. We're going to party. He looks friendly. And then like you look closer and he's got the infinity stones. It's like he could snap his fingers at any moment. Like that's like the tension, right? Of like being in these high control relationships. Yeah. I, I think there are people out there that are like, man, I wish we had somebody that cared enough or a story that was big enough or public enough, public facing enough or impacting enough that somebody could run a story for us. Um, Wouldn't that be healing? But we found a lot of healing doing this other sense making, I would say was probably more, I don't know. I mean, there's some like tension and anxiety that comes with like a public story because you have high expectations that something will happen. Like, what is this going to make possible? But you just are surprised all the time when you're doing this private, like connecting with people and rebuilding relationships and uh, filling in the blanks that is honestly probably 75, 80% of the healing, maybe 90. (laughs) And I think it's hard. It's hard to have high expectations for what you have to really just expect that the the benefit of telling the story is the healing you can get and hopefully make sense for somebody else. Beyond that, I mean, for example, look at Nexium. It was called a cult and things, you know, you know, were coming out about it, gosh, at least 10 years or more, 10, 15 years before a lot of the really you know, shocking stuff came out and, you know, Keith Raniere was, you know, put on trial. And so that's how long something can play out. And, you know, you hope it doesn't keep harming people along the way, but sometimes it does. And if you've spoken, I mean, that's really all, all you can do is, is put the truth out there where people can find it. Now I will say like, for me, you know, I've struggled with shame in, not seeing it sooner, um, not seeing things in my marriage sooner, not seeing things with Ramsey sooner. And like, you know, when, when I was being, you know, when they were attempting to control me and manipulate me and and bully me, like why, you know, there were points where I didn't, you know, I didn't say this is wrong and here's how it's wrong, (laughs) you know, but you only know when you know, and, you know, just, giving yourself some grace. 
Um, because, because that's hard to go, Oh, I wish I would have done this differently. Yeah. That's, that is the hard thing because I think anyone with a similar story, like what is the one thing you do differently? Like all of us want to go back and leave better and not leave on good terms. Like maybe we, we did, you know, but instead like have the confidence to say what really happened and, um, to leave feeling empowered instead of feeling confused and like a victim, but you don't, I mean, that's not realistic, but I think that everybody has that. Like, I wish, I wish I could have said what I, what, yeah. what I wish I could have said the truth and stood up for myself in the moment. Um, so speaking out is sort of like getting a chance to do that. I will say I, you know, I did say, two things directly to Dave Ramsey that were not okay. One of which is he had, he had said, well, here's what we're going to tell some of the team. And it was untruthful. (laughs) And, you know, I sat there and prayed and looked at him right in the face. And I said, you know, this, the narrative that you're talking about here, um, I think it's deceptive. I don't think it's truthful. And, you know, I sit here and go, what was I thinking? Like, how did that was like totally the Holy Spirit? Because I don't know how I had. So I do have to remind myself, like, there are points that we speak up and that we say things that um, are the truth, even if it's not the whole thing we wish we could have said. And we write the whole speech that, you know, we wish we could have said, you know, walking out the door. Yeah. Um, you know, we were only so strong and to speak up at all was dangerous. And so I do want to give us credit for whatever we said or did while we were inside. If you've enjoyed this conversation, you're going to love the extra bonus audio. We kept talking about some things we wished we had done differently and give some words of advice for the Patreon community. You can join us there by going to patreon.com slash untangled faith. That's patreon.com slash untangled faith. Speaking of bonus audio, you may have noticed that there are two different episodes that are showing up in your feed this week to give those of you who aren't in our Patreon community a chance to hear an example of the kind of stuff I share. I wanted to give you access to a conversation I had with Emily Snook at the end of 2022 about some of the big religion stories of the year. Be sure to check that out. As we jump into 2023, there are a couple of super simple things that you can do to make a huge difference for the growth and sustainability of the show. First, wherever you listen, click the subscribe or follow button. Second, if you could go to YouTube and search for the Untangled Faith podcast and subscribe there as well, that would help immensely. I have been sharing some video content from the show there, and I don't want you to miss that. I'll leave a link in the show notes so you can easily find it. And speaking of show notes, you can find those at untangledfaithpodcast.com. If you're on social media, I would love to keep this conversation going over on Twitter or Instagram or through the Facebook page. I'm Untangled Faith on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm Faith Untangled on Twitter. The Untangled Faith Podcast is hosted and edited by me, Amy Fritz. This podcast is made possible by the support of my Patreon community. A special thanks to producers Michelle Pionic, Phil and Susan Perdue, Pam Forsyth, and Shelley Taylor. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week.